0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have the outstanding Jim Doherty. He's co-founder and chief executive officer at Madaket Health. Jim is a serial entrepreneur with nearly 30 years of expertise in bringing automation and manual administrative processes in the financial services and healthcare industries. At Madiket Health, Jim leads the company toward its goal of creating streamlined solutions for the increasingly complicated world of healthcare information technology and data management. Prior to launching Madiket, Jim met the Madiket founding team during his tenure as CEO and chairman at Interlinks, which facilitates simple and secure data sharing in the financial industry. Jim has served in a variety of CEO, board, and partner roles at a number of successful technology and finance companies, including Prodigy Business Solutions, MetaMatrix, Great Hill Partners, and InnoSight. In previous roles as general manager of the internet division at Lotus Development Corporation and executive vice president of Global Markets at Garner Incorporated, Jim pioneered new technology and products to transform business outcomes, and today he's doing that in healthcare. So today is truly a privilege to have Jim on the podcast to dive into some of his insights and his work at Madiket Health. So Jim, with that, I want to give you a warm welcome.
0: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: So, Jim, what did I leave out of your bio that you want the listeners to know about you? Well, two things. One is
0: actually it's closer to 40 years than 30 years. So I've been doing this for a long time. And I think it's important to note that actually this is the first time that the founding partners and I have actually this. Medicaid is the first healthcare company that we've done. It has been financial services. And, and I think one of the things that we brought to the table and a lot of our customers appreciated that we didn't come out of healthcare. We think differently than people who have been their entire career in healthcare, and therefore, the kind of things that we recommend, the kind of approaches we take, are not standard healthcare approaches. Which uh, we think, in some ways, lead, has led to our making some significant
1: progress. Yeah, Jim, I think that's a really great point. And there's a lot of uh, assumptions that are made in healthcare by folks that have been in it for a while. So I can see that, you know, and the the approach you guys, the suggestions you might offer. Are different. What would you say got you into healthcare? I mean, you're coming up to us from finance. Yeah. So
0: we basically, um, after we successfully sold Interlinks, we the founding partner stayed in touch, and we were always looking for an opportunity to, um, you know, get back together and do something. We enjoyed working with each other. It was successful. And as we just had our informal conversations with each other, we realized that what was happening, you know, six, seven years ago in healthcare. Was akin to what was happening in financial services in the late 90s, early 2000s, which is you know massive regulatory change, uh, introduction of new technologies, and therefore lots of disruption. And we, we came to the realization that you know what many things healthcare lacked, and one of them was great software. Right? You, I don't think anyone would ever say that the software in healthcare is you know state of the art. And what we are at our at the core is a enterprise software company. We're software guys and girls, and we thought that. What we needed to do is see if there's a way that we could apply our software skills, which we thought were substantially better than was the state of the art in healthcare in in healthcare. So, we had built this SaaS platform back in 1999 and 2000, So, and we were doing cloud back in 2000. So we were doing things way ahead of the curve. So we thought, given our, our skills at that, there must be a place in healthcare where we can find our a place where we can apply our skills. And so that's what we did. So when we, we decided to start this um Actually, this is the uh, Matic has been written up on several cases, both MIT and Harvard. But what, the first thing we did was um, is we did about 60 interviews because we knew that whatever we did couldn't take deep healthcare knowledge because we didn't have deep healthcare knowledge. Right. So uh, we did 60 interviews with doctors, insurance providers, uh, hospital administrators, nurses. And in these initial 60 interviews, the, a clear theme emerged, which was that doctors and insurance companies exchange tons of information on administrative tasks not patient tasks they do that too of course but administrative tasks and that it was burdensome it was completely disorganized and it, it really gummed up the works. i mean it made everything harder for everybody and so um after we had come up with this we then raised a, a small seed round and did another 60 interviews and came up with the um, exact same conclusions that doctors and insurance companies exchange all this information. You know, We eventually came up with a total addressable market over $20 billion. In other words, the the cost for exchanging this information is massive because it's still mostly done by um, fax. And every insurance company requires things of doctors, and each insurance company has different requirements. And we identified five major, though there were several, more, but five major interactions between insurance companies and doctors. And the five were enrollment. When a doctor wants to get paid, they need to become enrolled in the payer systems. Second was credentialing. Every doctor needs to be credentialed to prove that they're still um, a viable physician and can provide services. There's contracting. Everybody needs contracting because they get paid different amounts for each of their um, uh, procedures based on the contract they have with the insurance company. Privileging. Which gives doctors the ability to serve in multiple um, medical facilities. And then lastly, uh, provider uh, directories. In other words, knowing um, who, this is especially for the insurance companies, knowing which doctors are part of their insurance program. So when we, we added all this up, it was about 20 to $22 billion of cost. Mm -hmm. Um, Every insurance company, a typical doctor does business with 25 insurance companies on average, and that every insurance company had different forms. So the initial use case is we chose this application called enrollment because it was actually the smallest of the five. And we chose it because we would expect, because it is relatively small, but everybody needs to do it, it would have fewer competitors. And we were right. There's no other vendor out there that is doing pure provider enrollment. EDI enrollment with insurance companies. And so uh, we decided that would be our entry point into the marketplace. And um, that's where we have focused so far, which is helping doctors. The original use case was that the doctor has 25 insurance companies. Every time they change something to the enrollment profile, which happens frequently, They have to notify all 25 and each insurance company requires different forms. And so on average, according to a study by Anthem, takes four months for the doctors to notify all the insurance companies they've changed something in their profile, a new tax ID, a new location, a change tax ID. And so our use case, the original use case was to have a doctor come to our service, put in the new information. We would then ask, Do you want to notify all these insurance companies? And we, they would say yes, of course. And we would say, Okay. And then what we do is we have all the forms of all the insurance companies. And so we would then notify each of the insurance companies that the new information would happen instantaneously instead of taking four months. Wow,
1: that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. So that, that part of the business has been what we was the original part of the business and has been growing dramatically. We've done you know, well over 2 million enrollments for providers. Um, you know, We do between fifteen and 20,000 a week. Um, so uh, yeah, that that's what sort of powered us so far, and the thing that we're introducing now, what we introduced several months ago, is credentialing as the is actually the largest. So we went from the smallest to the largest. Credentialing is a huge huge pain market point. because. Yes. And every doctor, it's several hundred data points and you have to get, you know, um, license information and drug uh, DEA uh, verification. And it's just a whole huge thing. And what happens is, you know, if you take those five applications that I just mentioned to you and you go to any large health system and I'm on the board of a large health system here in Boston, there are five different pieces of software, five different databases, five different, um, you know, PCs, because it's all software. And so to a hospital administrator, that is a royal pain in the neck because oh, yeah. they have to maintain all five of these. And so when we told them our goal was to have all of them on the same platform, the same user interface, the same database, so you can read – once you put the data in, you can use it over and over again. Everyone we spoke to was elated because – Where do I sign? This is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's what – now, of course, there are, there are several – Inhibitors, you know, the existing healthcare system is not designed to do that. So we're, you know, we're. It's not easy work. We're still plowing through lots of, you know, point solutions that do just credentialing or or just privileging or just contracting. And so, you know, you have to get uh, health systems to unplug those and adopt the new technology. So it's, it's so it's easier said than done, but we're clearly orienting ourselves in what the market wants, which is, you know, fewer vendors, fewer data stores, single user interface using the data over and over again, as opposed to having
1: to key it in over and over again. I think it's fascinating work, Jim. And I just think through the administrative burden. And and I mean, you've pinpointed these five areas, enrollment, credentialing, contracting, privileging, and directories, and you're going after it one at a time. It's exciting to hear about how you guys are applying your expertise to make things better in healthcare. Give us uh, an example of, of one of the things you've done that's created results by doing things differently.
0: Yeah. So our first customer has, is a so one of the things that we did That we're also doing that's different is there are several large what we would call intermediaries in the healthcare space Um, these are companies that already do business with thousands and some cases hundreds of thousands of doctors and health systems so one thing we learned from doing our research was that if you go health system by health system by health system it's going to take a very long time to build your business because in a hospital sales processes can last 18 to 24 sometimes even more months just because they're so slow yeah so there are several large intermediaries, revenue cycle management players and other software vendors who, who've been around for 20, 25 years who already have this installed base and who, by using our software to help them aid their doctors, we can make both the doctor's life easier and in the, these intermediaries easier. So a, a really good example is um, our first big customer that has 340,000 doctors they do business with, they were sending, before they used our service, they were sending faxes to their largest insurance company. So after we had been sent, you know, helping them, we facilitated helping them send faxes. We, we, made, we, we took that on, and, which was a big help to them. But once we had done several thousand of these, we went to the insurance company. And by the way, when you send a fax in, what you had to do is go to the insurance company, download an electronic form, uh, fill out the form, create a PDF, print the PDF, and fax it. And it goes to uh, India, where it gets rekey punched in. And that process, on average, takes 45 days. Right. For the whole process. So what we did is we went to this insurance company and said, you know, this is what we're doing is kind of crazy. And they said, yeah, we agree. That's crazy because we proved to them. We sent them something like 15,000 pages of faxes the, the month before. So we said, give us a digital format that we can then um, send you this information to you so you can consume it digitally. And they did. They got back to us in a couple of weeks and they gave us a customized spreadsheet. So what we do now is every day we send them this customized spreadsheet with the new data on it and they consume it. So that 45-day period is now two days. So in other words, Incredible. we send it to them on a Monday. Yeah, we send them on a Monday. They consume it on Monday night and Tuesday. They're, they're done. Wow. And so we... We took 43 days out of the process. Now the insurance company is happy because they saved tons of, um, you know, improved customer service, tons of mistakes because one out of four of the key punched information uh, forms was done erroneously, so it didn't work, and they had to go back to the doctor, and it was very costly. So the insurance company is thrilled. The vendor is thrilled because they're getting their doctors paid sooner. And the doctors are thrilled because they are getting paid sooner. So it was a breakthrough. And we've used that example now with several other insurance companies. And we're slowly, you know, our goal is to digitize the entire process. I mean, I don't think we'll ever get every single insurance company in the United States to um, become digital. But um, we can certainly get the big ones. And we're already doing that. So that we can, you know, automate a, a huge portion of the number of en- uh, enrollments that doctors do, and eventually credentialing
1: as well. Jim, I think it's it's uh, it's fantastic work, and uh, appreciate that very granular example. And I'm I'm intrigued. I'm going to go back on on uh, on what you shared. I mean, you did sixty interviews. And then you did 60 more interviews that confirmed this, and now you're you're following through. I mean, I love your process. Is that what you did in your previous companies too, That this, this uh, model? Yeah, the answer
0: is, so this is the first company I started from literally it's a whiteboard. So, you know, six years ago, this company was a whiteboard.
1: That's awesome. Um, I love that. And
0: literally. And I think the reason why MIT and HBS have used our case study is because most entrepreneurs don't start the way we started, which is they say, you know, I had this personal experience in the healthcare system, or I had this personal problem that I encountered. I'm going to go and try to solve that. And that, that's not a bad way to do it. But they, they think that, you know, coming up with a thesis, which is that, you know, we're good at software. Healthcare is bad at software. We have a track record. Let us have the market tell us what the biggest need is, as opposed to us presuming we know that. So the answer is I've done that before. So I've started companies within bigger companies, Lotus and Prodigy. And yes, that's what we did. That's what I did. We, we basically did um, market research first, and then that led us to, um, you know, we had some overarching hypotheses, as I just indicated to you that we did here. So, yes, I've done that, done that before. But this is the first company where literally it was just us in um, an office in Kendall Square um, <laughs> uh, with, no, with no funding whatsoever. So, That's awesome. um, and I'm we a... raised our Series B last summer. And so, yeah. you know, we're well financed and it's public information. But, you know, yeah. we have um, several strategic investors, Salesforce.com. PNC, you know, fifth largest bank in the country, and then Experian, which is a multi-billion-dollar uh, healthcare uh, provider. So we have three really good strategics, and we also have a really good um, lead investor, Teaming, which is um, started in, in China but has now opened up a health healthcare arm here in the Boston and Seattle area.
1: Well, that's fascinating and and there are a lot of entrepreneurs and and business leaders listening to this, aside from the provider listeners and fascinating that you shared these tidbits because I'm sure they're all taking notes. <laughs> I hope so <laughs> um, so I love the results you're creating early on. Your approach to this is very methodical. Give us an example jim of of a setback you've had so far and what you learned from that
0: yeah, I think um. One setback is how, as much as we thought we understood the complexity of dealing with large insurance companies, we underestimated it. A lot of their systems are, you know, 30 years old, are uh, homegrown, and one of the things that we need to do is to, you know, do when we send information to these insurance companies is get the status, and we just totally underestimated how hard it was going to be to change the way these big insurance companies did business. So we're having to um, automate pieces of it. For instance, you know, we create bots that go to these portals and they emulate a human being. They go to the portal as if it's a human. And then an insurance company will, you know, change their portal without telling anybody or, or they'll take down the portal and put up another portal. And we run into all kinds of problems like that. So we, we, maybe grossly is the wrong word, but we substantially underestimated the difficulties of working with the insurance companies in terms of getting, you know, getting them the information is isn't hard. Getting information from them is very difficult, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're working on that. And you know, we're we're obviously targeting the big ones first, and you know, and, and they're all understanding the benefit that the, the mutual benefit to everybody. And mm-hmm. so we're not getting any senior level resistance. It's just once you get into the bowels of the organization where that needs to be implemented. It, there's um, a, a lot less um, openness to uh, doing new things. So that was the biggest setback was the, you know, getting information from the insurance companies that we can then provide to our customers in terms of when they could expect things. So we're working on several web paths to fix that.
1: Love it. Love the way you address these things as well. And what would you say to date, Jim, is one of your proudest moments?
0: Well, I think it's, um, when our first big customer realized that the approach that we're taking was so positive and so revolutionary, they basically have now handed over the entire process to us. So they, they used to have internal technology where their where their customers would go to and fill out information and then they would send it to us, which is fine, but it slowed things down. And so they they came to the conclusion that you know they're a healthcare company, not a technology company, and we're a technology company, not a healthcare company. So, we major in technology, minor in healthcare. They major in healthcare, and minor in technology. And once we had proven that we we're really super reliable and dependable, they've decided to basically um, eliminate their own technology, and their customers come directly to Madigan. So, that was a big moment um, for us yeah. when they totally trusted us and they just came to the conclusion that there's no way they could do it better than we do, and that we, they'd be much more profitable, much higher customer service scores if they went to our technology. So that was that was a big win. And it, it only happened in the last couple of months. It took four years to get there, three and a half. And now we can go and tell our other customers that these guys did this. Because, I mean, our goal in the end, I mean, I didn't say this earlier, but our goal is to effectively become the de facto standard between insurance companies and doctors and exchanging administrative information, non-strategic administration. So when I say we say non-strategic, we mean stuff that is not touching their customers, but it's just purely in the back office, right? So strategic is something that would improve EHR or getting a bill paid or something like that. Those are strategic administrative tasks. Ours are really just back office. So they're not strategic. Um, They're necessary, but they're not strategic. So we're focused on trying to become, our design center was the provider to make life easier for the provider. And the idea is that as they move from one you know job to another, or they add tax IDs, or they, they switch from one health center to another health center. All the information is there. needs minor updates, and then they can proceed very quickly as opposed to starting from scratch every time they want to do something new. Wow.
1: That's a vision, Jim. That's the vision. To become that de facto standard is more than just, hey, I want to be a player and get a piece of the pie. So right. definitely <laughs> kudos to you. The vision's strong. So tell us about what the most exciting project within what you guys are doing is today.
0: It's trying to um, get the same. You know, We have a huge footprint. So 35% of all provider groups in the United States, 35% are have their enrollments done on our platform. By the end of the year, if we go at the current rate, it'll be 50%. So at the end of the year, 2019, we'll have half of the provider groups in the United States on our platform. The, the most exciting thing we're working on now is try to replicate that with credentialing. Because once your data is on our platform for a moment, it makes sense for you to then to just, because the first thing you do in the credentialing application is to take your demographic data and populate it. And of course, that's what enrollment is. Enrollment is demographic data. So the first step of your credentialing is already done for you. Um, you just take that data and populate it into the credentialing form. And so the uh, the most exciting thing we're working on now is to try to get that second app credentialing to be as growing as fast and as um, widely as um, enrollment.
1: That is certainly exciting and. I've heard many of the pain points and time lags with regard to credentialing, and the—I mean—the impacts to patient care, the impacts to the financials of the organization. So I think you're you're onto something here, Jim. That's exciting.
0: Yeah, we agree that, um, and and the investors too that they believe that the market wants a standard. Yeah. I mean, standards. Are, I mean, standards are bad for uh, point solutions, but they're good for the market because it makes everybody more efficient. And so. When you you go to these big health centers, you know, they're saying, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't want five databases and five, um, you know, uh, code bases and user interfaces. We want we want one. So we're not trying to convince people what we're doing is is really in your to your benefit. They say, no, no, we agree that it is. And so but the resistance you get is, you know, people who use point solutions for, you know, 25, 30 years. And are loath to change, so that's and that's just something we're we're battling right, and we'll get to a tipping point we hope where you know you'll just sort of say, you know, I'm sorry, why are you using five code bases when you could be using one? I mean are you <laughs> how do you justify that to your CFO or to your CEO right yeah. and it'd be uh, so much more efficient so one of the things that Interlink did is we did become, you know, we at one point we had an 80% market share of all the large financial transactions in the United States. Loan syndications is the main one we did, and we've we've done this before. Now, financial services obviously is different than healthcare right. in terms of financial services viewed uh, technology as a competitive enabler. Many fewer people in healthcare view technology as a competitive enabler. They, many of the people we deal with, view it as a threat right? Right. that it's going to make things more efficient and that impacts headcounts and that impacts budgets and. So when we succeed, it's when we get to the P&L levels where the people are looking at overall profitability, and overall efficiency, that's where we succeed. If we we go into the lower levels in the organization where, you know, you're adding, we could be, you know, new technologies are always threatening to people who do things
1: in the old way. Now, this is insightful work, Jim, and you guys are definitely making an impact. So uh, this part of the podcast is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you several questions, lightning round style, followed by a book you recommend to the listeners. You ready? All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: So, doctors and nurses are the front lines of the war on uh, the, the healthcare war and to make them more efficient because you know nurses, physician assistants, they all have to enroll and credential as well. Um so our goal is to free up their time so they can spend more time, you know, learning or attending to patients.
1: What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: underestimating the power of people who don't want to change. <laughs> um, we encounter this at every, every client, which is yeah. the people on the ground floor will literally not tell the truth to their senior people, literally. They mm-hmm. will not tell the truth because they don't want to introduce disruption. So I think the biggest thing we have to
1: avoid is not underestimating that. A great call out how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change
0: by listening to the marketplace um, we you know one of the things we did when we raised our series B is we we hired a bunch of folks on both in service delivery client listening to clients and their phone calls and we've set up a process where we collect the information they give us so that we can then act on it right so as opposed to um, you know that's what we are we're a software company so we know how to do that and then the other thing so that's how which is listening to our clients and we also hired some very senior from healthcare people from um, some local companies whereby you know we're trying to create a standardized way as part of scaling the company right we're 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 sort of we have one foot in the startup world and we have one foot in the scale world and we're in the middle of transitioning and 2019 will be the you know when we go from say you know 65% startup and 35% scale to flipping that mm. and one of the ways you do that is putting in a formalized market assessment tool. so how do you listen to the market how do we make sure that um as things change in the marketplace so we don't just take our plans and then just remember them for three years but we're constantly modifying them based on new things that we hear in the marketplace
1: i think that's uh great insight and and sort of the the origin story of 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 how you started this thing too so it's uh it's working so it makes sense to keep it going so far yeah (laughs) yeah right what's one area of focus that drives everything in the organization
0: customer satisfaction. Every time we enroll a doctor faster than before and with, you know, fewer mistakes, there are, always, you know, inevitably there are mistakes because of the, there's still a fair amount of human intervention, like people putting input into our, into our service. So it's every time we improve the process to make the lives of the doctors and the insurance and the, and the um, other type of uh, caregivers, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, and so on. That's how, so it's the the speed and the accuracy of the enrollment and soon credentialing that, were, that drive our
1: company. Love it. It's a great, great call out. So these next two are more on a personal note. What is your number one health habit? I've been running.
0: So before I got, we, my wife and I are about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. And I've been running wow, since we got married. And the reason was I was because it's kind of a funny story, uh, which is that when I before we got married, I all my exercise was pickup games with my friends. So I pick up basketball, pick up baseball, pick up hockey. And then once we got married, that all stopped. But I didn't change my diet, and so I all, all of a sudden started to put on weight, and I didn't like that, so I started running right away. And I've been running. This is my 40th year of running. So I don't. Wow. I run only for fitness. I don't run for, like I don't run in a marathon since it just happened yesterday but uh that's i've been right. you know my weight has been consistent since you know this is a, I've, I've been 40 years at the same weight so
1: <laughs> so so what do you uh, what is your running routine what do you what do you do every day or, or three times a week yeah, how long do you run three to four times a week and mm-hmm. i go about five miles each time and that's changed nice. over the years and um
0: my roots have changed and, and actually i now sort of I integrate it with things like um, our office is right near Harvard stadium. And so in good weather, I'll run the Harvard stadium steps, which is sort of a thing to do now.
1: And uh, that's, that's,
0: yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. And then (laughs) uh, I also do a little bit of this this exercise program called insanity, which is, um, uh, that you know, it's basically, yeah, exactly. So
1: I I sort of blend some of that in with my running and just to make, make it a little diverse. What do you do when it's cold outside, Jim? For your running? i um, you do um, treadmill? Uh, no, I'll probably do, I'll go to the gym and use, yeah, they have elliptical machine. Okay.
0: Or those in are the days track. that I'll do insanity inside the house.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good yeah. for you, man. That's great. That's great. I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to get more cardio in. My, my routine right now is three days at the gym strength training and then one hour of running. But I want to build up to one hour of running per day of workouts. So I want to build up to more running. So this is good inspiration. I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and so, what is your number one success habit?
0: Probably, I try to take fewer meetings than most of my peers uh-huh. and spend more time. I happen to have an office in Kendall Square as well. I I teach entrepreneurship at MIT, and um, I'll spend um, you know at least a couple days a week, at least an hour in my office by myself, you know, looking out the window, which actually looks out under the Charles River. Thinking about the business, always thinking about yeah. the business, which is what could we be doing better? What are we missing? So I try not to, I try to keep my meetings to a, just a moderate amount as opposed to, you know, judging my success by, you know, did I have nine meetings today? And spend yeah. much more time just thinking about the business. And I've always, I've always done that. And because, you know, you know 90% of 95% of my job is in my head, which is assimilating information and then, you know, thinking about it and then trying to take that information and then be able to put it into actionable terms so that the team can take action. You know, the, maybe yes. I exaggerate. it's not 95%, but it's a big percent. And then the other yeah. piece, it's really two things, which is that plus the culture you know, as a CEO, my job is to make sure that the culture is a place where, you know, a year ago, we had, we doubled employees in the last year. So how do you make sure that the culture stays strong? And what do you want the culture? If you, I've actually written several blogs for um, HBS, I'm sorry, HBR. And the first one I wrote, which is the first business model that a founder needs to create is what is their desired culture? Because Every company has a culture, and but most cultures form organically without any strategic guidance. So the first thing we did, even before we did our interviews, which is, so what do we want attributes of our culture to be? You know, transparency, non-politics, constant learning, you know, excellence. And we, we thought about the things that we wanted our culture to be. And then as soon as we formed the company, instead of hiring people, we then tried to live those aspects out, which is, for instance, we have... For a company our size, we have tuition reimbursement, which is unusual because we, yeah. you know, we, hire, we hire a benefits consultant. And he said, yeah, this is unusual for a company your size. But we felt that was backed up the culture, which is we want our team to feel that constant learning and um, is an important part of what we view them as,
1: as wanting. And we want to support that. Brilliant. Love that, Jim. Yeah. And it's uh, very telling that you spend a lot of time thinking about these things and, and proof that doing things differently and thoughtfully works. Less meaning, more thinking, something I definitely subscribe to. And so now that, that you know you, we've gone through the lightning round, I'd love to hear your book recommendation for the listeners.
0: Yeah, boy, there's so many. I would say my the book, and by the way, I, I, I try to read three books at a time and it takes me three weeks to read them. So it's roughly a book a week. Um, maybe That's eight awesome. or nine days. And I almost read almost zero business books, very few business right? books. Yeah, because um, so most what of read? it's, you know, bi- biography, history, uh, yeah. nice. things like behavioral economics. You know, I, I recently read a book on complexity, things like that. So, you know, behavioral economics and complexity, of course, even though they're not directly business books, certainly are applicable to business. And I would say the best book, my favorite book is called The Human Web by William McNeil. Mm -hmm. It's now probably 12 years old. But basically, McNeil was, a, unfortunately, passed away last year, was probably my favorite American historian. And he basically just describes, you know, the human web and that basically at one point, you know, human beings spread to the furthest corners of the world. And at that point, everything since then has been a consolidation. I mean, you know, local consolidations, regional consolidations, global consolidations in terms of forming a single web and how that impacts society, how it impacts economics, how it impacts culture. It's a very insightful book. Uh, it's sort of his capstone book. It's the book he's, in the introduction he talks about. He and his son wrote it together. They, they've they read several thousand books between them, which most people can't do. And this is sort of their synthesis of, of history. And, wow. of course, businesses, you know, we're, you know, I remember having colleagues when I was younger who only read business books. And they, they thought, you know, focused on history and larger things was a waste of time. But everything we do fits within the culture, right? It fits within our current. And so if you have no understanding of that, over time, you're going to limit your ability to be successful. You might be a great finance person, but if you don't understand the broader context, you know, you're just going to drive off a cliff. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, uh, The Human Web by McNeil is Mm -hmm. probably my overall favorite book. Yeah.
1: I've written it down and and listeners put it on your list too. This one just got raised all the way to the top of my list. And Jim, you know, I, am I, my undergrad was in in history actually uh, um the classics you know the Greeks and the Romans yeah. and you know what I I to this day feel like it's while not direct indirectly because of the humanistic aspect of what I studied has really helped me in what I do in healthcare yeah absolutely totally some great great Couldn't insights yeah jim love it man i wish we could spend some more time together we've gotten here to the end Listeners, just as a reminder for the entire transcript of our interview with Jim, as well as uh, the show notes, the links to resources discussed, go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar, type in MADAKET, it's M-A-D-A-K-E-T. You'll be able to find all that there. Jim, why don't you leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation and learn more.
0: Yeah, well, we just relaunched our website. It's interesting. So since we're not going directly to health systems or consumers, we're going to large intermediaries. Um, we we know who our prospective customer base is, so we didn't really have to rely on the web as a tool. So, but we to, to attract customers. But we just updated our website, and so please, that's the best way to reach me. Um, we have uh, two white papers: one on credentialing and one on um, enrollment. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And I would just say that the the ending thought is that spending the time to think out of the box is probably the most valuable time you can spend. And then two things, one, is thinking out of the box, but, but making sure you're carving schedule time to do that. Yes. And then also just the culture, right? Working with my job is to make sure that everybody who works here feels like they're learning something every day. And that as a result of working here, they're going to become better human
1: beings, better professionals. And, and that's what I, that's what I try to focus on. Jim, I love the insights here. And folks, the beauty of podcasts, you could hit rewind, listen again, because Jim has left us with a ton of value here today. So I encourage you to hit rewind, listen to it again, check out the show notes. And with that, Jim, I just want to give you a big thanks and uh, looking forward yeah. to staying in touch.
0: Thank you very much for the time.